0: The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. So today I'm going to start by breaking some rules right off the bat. I'm going to start this, you don't believe me? Come on. Come on. I'm going to start this awesome message that I believe God has given me to give to you. I'm going to start with a disclaimer. And then, yes, even then, after I do that, I'm still going to expect that you might still want to listen anyway. I know I know. they say that you're not supposed to do that. Never do that. Never start with an apology. Never start by giving your audience any reason to not believe that what they are about to hear is the most incredible thing in the universe. If you do that, you're just setting everybody up. You're giving them a reason not to listen. You're setting everything up for failure. Yeah, well, they also say it's hard to look away from a train wreck, right? So maybe you'll still pay attention anyway just to see what happens, deal? So my disclaimer is this. I guarantee you, I guarantee you today, that my words will not be adequate enough to fully describe what God wants you to get from today's message. I mean it. And I mean, I'll do my best. Trust me, I am prayed up on this topic. I've been meditating on what God wants me to say for like the last few weeks. But for today's message, saying things will not be enough. It won't. For you, it won't. If you just take in my words today and that's all you get, you will be disappointed. Or you'll probably just forget what I said in the first place, probably by the time you're done with lunch. But if you can find, if you can find what my inadequate words are pointing to today, it'll make a huge difference in your life. Okay? So let me just throw it out there. I want to talk today about joy. It'll come back to prayer at some point. I want to talk today about joy. And it's really about time that we had this little talk. Really? You know, because I would argue that our pursuit of joy is perhaps one of the top few things, the few motivations that we all have as human beings. And yet, we rarely even ever have a conversation about it. I mean, Love is a pretty big deal, right? But it doesn't get the silent treatment. I mean, the radio's full of love songs. You can go to the movies or read in books. There are love stories and people love, love them. And we actually talk to people about love. We have conversations about love. It's a big deal when you say you love someone for the first time or when you remind someone that you love someone. That stuff happens all the time. But joy it's not a, there's not a genre of music called joy songs, right? You don't go to the movies and see a joy story, you know, or read them in books. And, and how often, if ever, have you had a conversation about joy with someone? Now, maybe we do a little better in the church, I would think certainly. Uh, there are some great worship songs we have that are about joy, and, and you might hear those words, you know, talked about from the front. You know, maybe the pastors mention that, but... How much does any of that make it back into your regular lives? How much does it just all stay here? How much do we encounter? Do we talk out, think out, experience, or even generate joy outside the walls of this building? I mean, I've been wrestling with this topic for a few weeks, and I don't even know if I've got a great definition for joy. I mean, sure, you can look it up, right? Get the dictionary definition. You're going to find joy is listed something like a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. But, oh, man, Christians don't like that definition. I tell you what. Feelings, huh? That's what it's all about? Joy is a feeling? Feelings are unreliable. Feelings are fleeting. They're anything but spiritual. So Christians have done their best, and they've, they've said, well, this is an important topic. We've got to teach people what it is. And so, you know, based on what the Bible teaches, because the Bible does have, you know, a, a deeper, bigger picture of joy than just that, for sure. And so Kay Warren, who's the, actually the wife of Pastor Rick Warren, who, you know, wrote The Purpose Driven Life, probably heard of him. But his wife, she wrote a book on the subject of joy and how it is more than just a feeling of happiness. That's actually like the subtitle of her book. And, and she gives her definition. She says, if we actually look at how the Bible Teaches. This, is, this is what I could come up with, but it takes a whole paragraph to uh, express. She says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. It is the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and it is the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Now, that's all good stuff. It is. But to me, I think both definitions have some merit. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of depth to God's joy in the Bible. There is settled assurance. There is this quiet confidence. But isn't there also supposed to be some great pleasure and happiness too? Isn't that also essential to what joy is? We've got to have this talk. And so even from this definition of the word, we are searching what is joy? What will bring me joy? What will make my heart glad? Where will those feelings come from? And how deep should they go? How deep does joy run? Is it only a feeling that must be continually chased after? Or is there something deeper to find that will continually produce joy in my life? So I don't have to be restlessly chasing after something that I can never catch. Yeah, we don't talk about it much, but aren't our lives wrapped around this pursuit? We want joy so desperately. I mean, there's so many things in our lives that we have to do. We've got to do these things, so many things we have to put up with, but there still are moments in your life, right? We get those moments. Those are these little times of freedom. What do we do when we have just a moment of freedom. When, when all the work is over, when the chores are done, when schools are out, school is out and when bills are paid and all the obligations are met, oh, those are good moments when they come around. What do we do with those moments? I'll tell you, we pursue joy. That's what we do. We say, I can make my own decision here. Now, what am I gonna do? Give me something that will satisfy me. Give me something that will bring pleasure. Give me something that will bring a deeper sense of meaning and purpose, right? And we do that in all sorts of ways, all sorts, some positive, some not. I mean, we look for joy in just rest. We look for joy in rest. We look for joy in entertainment. We look for it in food and drink, we look for it in relationships with other people. We look for it in vacations, time off, leisure. We look for it in buying new stuff. We look for it in exercise. We look for it in our faith. We look for it in projects that we do around the house. Sounds great, but we don't stop there. Strange as it may sound, we also look for joy in things that will destroy us and everything we care about. We look for joy in excess. We look for joy in sin. We look for it in selfishness. We look for it in running away from responsibility. Honestly, do we even have a clue what we're doing? It seems like we look for joy just about everywhere. It doesn't even need to make sense. Maybe that'll make me happy. Maybe that'll be good. Maybe that'll be great. Maybe that'll make me feel good. Maybe that'll feel this hole in my heart. We're just desperate to find it. In 2006, author Rhonda Byrne took on this desperation head on with her book titled The Secret. You guys remember that book? Now, I haven't actually read it, I'll tell you, but I do remember when it came out and this was this big deal, it was all the rage, someone was claiming that she had the answer to the joy question, right? What is the secret to a great life, to having happiness, to health and wealth? How can this life be better than it is? Well, Rhonda Byrne didn't just have an answer. She did not just have an answer. She had an answer that Oprah really liked. And so, you guessed it, she became a bestseller, right? She sold something like 19 to 21 million copies of this book. It's been translated into 46 different languages sent around the world. Everybody knows Rhonda Byrne's answer to How My Life Can Be Joyful. What does she claim? What is the secret that she claims to health and wealth and happiness? Let me save you some time and money. (laughs) She claims that there is a universal law of attraction where like attracts like. So if you think happy thoughts and you think and feel healthy and wealthy thoughts, the universe will attract those things to you. People that think and feel happy, think and feel healthy, think and feel wealthy, will become such. So yeah, now you don't need to buy the book. It's been 10 years since it's been released, and I don't know, I haven't noticed that there's like this whole new generation of people that are all healthier, more joyful, you know, happier with their lives, now that the secret's out. I haven't noticed that. Now, I'm pretty sure that this book has made Rhonda Byrne rich, But that's about as much credibility as I'm willing to give it. But it's just an example of how desperate we are to find an answer. That somebody can come out and say, I have found the answer. Let me tell you, it takes 150 pages to say. And we will buy that book by the millions because we want to know. To us, the questions are still out there. What is joy? Where can I find it? And at this point, I gotta say, the answers are predictable. Our culture has done the best it can over and over and over again with this question. Our culture just keeps coming up with the same kinds of answers, right? You will find your joy in health and wealth and happiness, right, pursue those things and then you get it, joy, whatever that is, we're not sure we'd recognize it even if we had it. It's like we know that we don't have it if we're not healthy. Uh, so, pursue health. And we know, we know we're not joyful if we're, you know, wishing that we could make ends meet or we wishing we could buy more things that we don't have. And, and so, pursue wealth because that'll do it. But then there's that third part that it's not just those two things, it's happiness too. Okay, pursue happiness. It's like we acknowledge the fact that, well, gee, I guess there are some people that are healthy and they are wealthy and they still don't have it. So, I guess then pursue happiness chase a feeling at that point? You got health and wealth. That was supposed to work. That was supposed to bring you joy and happiness, but it didn't. So chase something else. And we're back to that confusing place where we started. And this is a problem we're going to face over and over again. Because our very beings, I mean, we're created this way. Our very beings demand an answer to questions about joy. And the culture will provide answers. They will. Uh, Because everyone's pursuing joy. It's not just, you know, hey, yes, church people, we like joy and nobody else does. No, everybody's after this. But the culture doesn't provide any good answers. Anything clear, anything enduring that will help you or me connect with a lasting joy. So until we learn to, uh, to know but, and to follow God's word and what it says about joy, we will always be chasing a counterfeit. So this is the part when we get into what God's word says that no matter how eloquent I might make words, my words can only do so much. Because teaching about joy, learning about joy, is nothing compared to experiencing joy. So you've got to promise me you're going to do more than just be polite to me today. You know, sit there and listen really well. Maybe a couple of you nodding and, you know, refraining from snoring. I appreciate that. But you've got to do more than that today. Promise me. Please, 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 for your own sake, prepare even now to take this message home with you and put it into practice. It's got to be put into practice. So this morning, I want to look a little bit at the life and writings of the Apostle Paul to see if we can't respond to some of the questions our souls are just dying to find answers to. So if you have your Bibles with you, your phones with the Bible app, uh, go ahead and turn to Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 11. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Philippians, then you know this is pretty much the New Testament's book of joy, I mean, he doesn't call it that, but it's all over the place. And I want to give a shout out to my community group, our Insta Bible College community group, because we all read this book like seven times in one week recently. Uh, so I know those guys are familiar with it. But uh, for the rest of us, I'll give a brief introduction. Uh, this book is one of Paul's letters that he wrote to a church that he planted in the city named Philippi. Paul's in prison somewhere when he writes this letter. And what happened is the Philippians have actually sent him a financial gift. They sent him an offering to bless him, take care of some of his needs and bless him. Um, And Paul is writing back his letter of thanks and encouragement and throwing a little bit of instruction and teaching in there as well. He's just like, hey, thanks guys so much. I really appreciate it. Let me teach you some things that I'm just, you know, just full of right now that I want you to know about God. God. So throughout this whole letter that he it's just evidence that Paul is overflowing with joy. And that joy is not just in his heart and mystical, it's on his mind. He wants to share it. He's got to talk about it. This book is only four chapters long. You can read it in about 15 minutes. And in that little book, Paul mentions the word joy or the instruction to rejoice 15 times. 15 times, that's about once per minute of reading every minute in a row for 15 minutes straight, right? Seven of those references are about all the joy that Paul has. He's talking about the joy he has. And the other eight references are instructions about the joy you need to have, the joy that the people he's writing to need to have, that they should rejoice, that they should be joyful in who Christ is and what he has done. So if you didn't think Paul was joyful in writing this letter, you missed something, okay? So toward the very end of the letter, this is where we are. He gives a very important clue as to where all of that comes from. Let's start in the middle of verse 11, chapter 4. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Closing out his book of joy, look at the words Paul uses. I have learned the secret. (laughs) The secret. Seriously? Yes. He has learned the secret of contentment, of joy. Of happiness in any and every circumstance. And when he says it's a secret, what he means by that, it's something most people have not figured out. But his answer has nothing to do with thinking things into existence. <laughs> he tells us that he has learned that there is a joy and a strength in Jesus Christ that will carry him and sustain him through everything this life will throw at him that his joy will continue, his heart will still be glad, that he will still be able to encourage others eight times in four chapters, that they got to get this, that they need to rejoice in the Lord always. And he repeats it immediately. He says, and I'll say it again, rejoice. He can be that way despite the fact of everything he has been through. Now not everybody could teach this message with credibility, right? Or say the things Paul said with credibility. You know, I I've learned, you know, what it means to be joyful in, in the good and the bad, right? I mean, if you got some privileged prince who wrote this letter, you know, this 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 guy grew up in the palace his whole life, he's waited on hand and foot since he was a boy, and now he's you know ruling over whatever province, you know, that guy writes to you and says, I have learned this amazing joy. That's you know, in any circumstance, the good times and the bad times, you know, you've really got to know about this joy. You'd be like, really? How, how, did, how did that go for you? Well, there was this one time, and my servant brought the wrong kind of grapes, and, you know, through my relationship with Jesus, somehow I was able to be joyful still. Is that, I mean, that would be completely meaningless if that guy wrote this letter, but Fortunately for us, and somewhat unfortunately for Paul, Paul knew what he was talking about. He knew about the very worst this life can offer. Listen to some of his resume, and if you want to read about it, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen to what he says. Here's what he's been through. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to be talking like this. I am more. I have worked much harder. I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, which is the maximum penalty that a, Jew, a Jewish court could administer. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. And he goes on, but you get the picture. Now, when a guy like this says that he's been through some of life's worsts, and that he has found the secret to being joyful no matter the circumstances, it's time to listen up. The first thing I want us to take away from this is that our joy is found in Christ, not in circumstances. Our joy is found in Christ, not in any circumstance. Now, I know that sounds like something you could have walked in here today agreeing with, believing on, right? You know, So is it Christ or is it like all the things? Oh yeah, it's Christ, right? But what's the reality? What's the reality that you live out? Because when we pray, think about it. When we pray, what are we praying for most of the time? Are we praying about aligning ourselves with Christ? Hey, there's something in Christ and I've gotta be more in tune with him. I have gotta be more in touch with him. God make me right with you. God changed my heart. God put me in, in perfect relationship with you. Is that what we pray about most of the time? Or most of the time do we pray about changing everything else, change the circumstances I'm in, change the people I'm around, change the things that are happening to me? What do we pray about more here? Now, I want to be clear, listen to me, you know, it isn't wrong to pray about changing your circumstances. You want proof? Look at Jesus, okay? Jesus Christ himself asked God, could you change that cross thing, right? Right? That's kind of the main, big, huge thing that he was here to do when he asked God to change that. So it's not a sin, right? That's not a sin to ask God to change your circumstance. But I am just asking the question, making the observation that I think probably we care a lot more about changing our circumstances than we do about offering our hearts up and changing us and being more in line with who God is. But that's where our joy comes from. Our joy doesn't come from circumstances. This truth is also something we should look at when we're not finding joy. I mean, there's so many times in life, right, when you know my heart's not satisfied, there's something wrong here, there's something sick in here. There's times of being overwhelmed with sorrow. There's times of just feeling empty inside. That's probably an indicator that we're not looking in the right place for our joy. Remember, we are (laughs) crazy. Remember that. We are crazy. We will look for joy in faith, and we will look for joy in sin. (laughs) That's crazy. We will look for joy in excess, and we will look for it in simplicity. We're not always on the right track. We're not. So remembering this truth that our joy is based in Christ and not in circumstances that should point us back. That should point us back into the right direction. If I'm not joyful right now, if I don't have joy, I don't even know where it is, maybe I'm looking in the wrong place. Second thing I'd like for us to walk out of here with today is something I couldn't just write down one way. I couldn't just give it to you one way, I have to give it to you twice ways. Twice ways, yeah. I wrote it down two times in two different ways. You pick whichever one speaks to you better. So the second takeaway is this. Joy in Christ is abundant and strong. That's kind of your, you know, nice theological version. Or I can just say it this way. Joy in Christ is awesome. Joy in Christ is abundant and strong. Or just go ahead and say it. Joy in Christ is awesome. Now I had to put the first because... If you just say joy is awesome, people use that word so much, you know, it can mean, you know, I'm slightly glad or it can mean something that's truly amazing. And so I'm trying to say it's based on the fact that it's abundant. Joy is overflowing. It's more than you need. That's the thing about joy, the way God gives it. It's more than you need. It's strong. It's something you can derive strength from. And that it's pretty awesome. So here's, here's what I'm getting at with this, and then we'll get back, and we'll look at how the Bible shows this. This is the place where I take a little bit of issue with Kay Warren's definition of biblical joy from earlier. Love Kay Warren, nothing against her. If you recall her, her definition was all about going deep, right? That our joy is rooted in God and our choice to respond to him. It's all about trusting that God's in control, that God wins in the end, and that we can praise Him in between, right? Great stuff. Love it. She describes joy as a settled assurance, a quiet confidence, and a determined choice. Okay, all good stuff. Again, it's really in the Bible. Not going to pick that stuff apart. But isn't joy actually enjoyable? <laughs> Isn't there some feeling to it, at least occasionally? Maybe it's not a constant thing, but doesn't it bubble up and overflow into that feeling? Isn't joy motivational? Isn't it fun? I think the Bible clearly shows that it is. When the Bible talks about joy, I did that thing, you know, put the search in, all the references of joy in the Bible. You know what it talks about on joy? Frequently, joy erupts in singing, joy erupts in shouting. Can you shout? With a settled assurance and a quiet confidence? I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Paul's joy seems to be flooding out of him. He can't stop talking about it in Philippians. Oh, and that's not the only book where this happens to him. He's got that problem elsewhere. This is awesome. Okay, this is awesome. In another one of his letters to the church at Ephesus this time, Paul is guilty, grammatical guilt, Paul is guilty of writing the longest run-on sentence in the entire Bible. Why? Because he is overflowing with joy. He just can't stop. He can't even focus. He can't pause and say, there should be a period there. No, he, did. he blurts out the whole thing. It's one good thing, leads to another, leads to another, after another, after another, and they just all run together. I will read it to you. Quickly. From Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Yeah, it's 13 verses, 12 <laughs> verses, however I can count. Um, 12 verses with no breaks. In your Bible, they probably put some in to help them out. But in the original Greek, there's nothing there. So it's literally just one sentence. How long could it take? Well, here's what he says. Praise. Be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding he made us known to the to us the, the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, what he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Oh, in him we were also chosen. We have been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might also be for the praise of his glory. And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. <sighs> It starts with praise. It's got praise all through the middle. It got praise in the end. And it's all about being in Christ and what that means. And Paul has covered everything from creation on to the cross, to bringing heaven and earth in unity with Jesus, to receiving the Holy Spirit and God's salvation all in one breath. Well, it probably took several But all in one, 202-word sentence in the original Greek. Again, you've probably got multiple in your translation. That's not how it was originally. Paul was running on joy. And I think he had more than a quiet confidence. He was pumped. There was something driving him to express his joy. Something over the top that needed to come out. Something so good. He greatly desired that others could experience what he was experiencing in his walk with the Lord. So at the end of his letter to the Ephesians, Paul shares what he is praying for for them. And this will take a little slower. I want you to see this. He says this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being deep down so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted, rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide how long and how high and how deep is the love of God and to know that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, you could spend weeks on that prayer alone and barely scratch the surface of its beauty. Oh, that God's church would know more than they knew, do now, but not with their minds, but knowing in our inner being the strength, the power the love of Christ, how high it is, how wide it is, how deep it is, how long it is, that we would experience that which we cannot even wrap our minds around. This wasn't just poetry, not just trying to write something pretty. This was Paul doing his best to communicate, full of joy to some people who had already found Christ. He's not saying, I wish you guys would find Christ. These guys were at church. They found Christ, but he's telling them, I wish you would find more of Him. There is more. Don't stop with what you know now. Press on deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ and you will find no bottom to his love. You will find no end to how much God wants to be your strength and to be your power. In a sense this is Paul saying to them it's true all of it everything you've learned about how good God is everything you've learned that oh God is impossibly this awesome we could never fathom uh, you know his love for us is so great and everything he's saying it's all real it's all real seek him out and be filled with him and you will experience that joy in Christ is Awesome. It is overflowing. It is abundant. It is strong. Like Paul, I wish that we could grasp that. I've heard and memorized even so many, you know, Bible verses about joy, you know. But somehow I've always been able to just minimize what joy is supposed to be. You know, it's just another one in the list, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Right? It's just another virtue, right? Yeah, it's good, right? It's a, it's a good-naturedness. It's a, it's a kindness to others in dark circumstances It kind of gives them a little glimpse of light. No, no. It is so much more than that. Our joy in Christ is the thing our souls have been searching for in all the wrong places. It's the strength and the power that we need to endure in any In all circumstances, and God's got more than enough of it to flood our lives. Finally, we've got to end this with application, right? I told you that at the beginning. That's why you're being polite. Joy grows when we seek God and we invite him to change our hearts. Joy grows when we seek God with everything we've got. And we invite him to have his way here in our hearts. Where does your heart look for joy? Honestly. Ask yourself that question. It's even on our question list for community groups this week. I want you and I want all of us to do the hard work of examining ourselves this week to see where we're at. Your heart seeks out joy it wants it you might say it even runs on joy but many of us look for it in the wrong places what are the wrong places well there's the obvious ones right we can all think of you know all these you know well you know let's, let's not find joy in killing people right we can all think of all these evil sinful things that people get trapped in when they're trying to find their joy but here's the catch Anything your heart goes to before it goes to Jesus is the wrong place. Anything your heart goes to before it goes to Jesus is the wrong place to find your joy. Don't you want that joy that Paul described The joy that words can't really wrap themselves around? Well, I want to I let you know other joys compete. They compete. They are a challenge and potentially even an obstacle to you and me finding the real deal, that indescribable joy in Jesus. Even great sources of joy, right? I mean, there are things that you should find joy there, like the joys you can receive from your family, joys you receive when you, you know, in, in taking pride in your work, and, and the joy you receive from serving others, Great things. They can get in the way. We don't have the time today, but on your own, you can look up uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 34 through 39, and you'll see Jesus makes it very clear. He comes first. He's got to come first, even above our closest family members. Other joys can compete with the joy we receive from Jesus, or they can add to our blessings if Jesus comes first. We got the choice. It's about where things fall. It's about where we look first. It's about what we depend on. And if we depend on Jesus's joy first, we seek him first, we make him first, then all those other joys can add to it. They can be blessings that show us that God's blessing doesn't stop. It keeps going. So I know at some point today, probably earlier in the talk, we just A long time ago right now, you're probably thinking, how does this connect with that pray thing, right? How does this fit in with this series on prayer? Well, here it is. We're getting there right now. I'm with Paul. I am with Paul. I want you and me to actually experience this life-changing love, this power, this strength of God, this deep joy that only God can provide, but... I know the reality, at least where I'm standing. I know my heart runs after other things. I know that I chase the satisfaction that I can get from what I accomplish on my own efforts. I know I look for joy in how other people receive me and what they say about me and what they think about me and, and how they treat me. I know that I... I dream about things like you know taking vacations and time off and having free time to do whatever I want as if that would provide a source of joy in my life. I know that there's a gap between what I have experienced of God and what His Word says about God. I know I haven't found all the depths of God's love yet. I haven't even come close I know those things about me. You probably know some of those kinds of things about you. So where do we start? I have two answers for you, and they both lead us back to prayer. The first answer is that joy is a heart issue, so we must ask God to do what we cannot. Our hearts want what is not good for them. And try as we may, I still don't know that we have the power to change our hearts. I don't know if I can make a change in my heart by myself. But that's God's specialty. He does the impossible. He can change the desires of our hearts, He can make us more and more like Him, He can transform us daily into his likeness. But how often do we ask him to? Is that what we pray for? How often do we pray and actually ask God, Lord, help me to love you and seek you more than anything or anyone else on this earth? How often do we say that? God, take the priorities of my life and make them different than they are. How do we do that? Lord, help me to find the joy that only you can give. Lord, help me to be fully content in the middle of this storm, knowing that my joy and my relationship with you is not threatened one bit. How often do we pray about our hearts and asking God, make my heart different than it is right now when I walked into prayer with you. By the time I walk out, could it be different? I'm trying to make these kinds of prayers part of my regular praying time, and I encourage you to as well. I don't think it's something that my heart's just going to get perfect at some point, and then I'll be like, okay, well, we accomplished that one. I think it's going to be something I need daily in my life, something every day there's going to be some other thing saying, you'll find joy here, you'll find it here, you're going to find it here, or you better find it here, you're going to be depressed, There's always going to be those things in my life every single day, and my heart gets fooled by those things. I've got to pray that God will change my heart, that God will make it a heart that knows Him, and a heart that has Him as its number one source of joy. It's a number one priority. We pray so often to change everyone else and everything else should we not pray first to change our own hearts. The second answer as to where we would start is now that you know what's out there, right? Now you know what's available. You should not let God off the hook until you receive it all. That sounds a little bold, right? Seriously? Yeah. See, God has promised a bunch of stuff to you. He's got to make good on it, right? He has promised impossible joy. He has promised Ridiculous strength in times of trial. He has promised unfathomable love, something that overflows your soul so that when you start talking about how good God is, you start speaking in 202 word run on sentences because you just can't contain it. It's there, it's in His Word, it's not going anywhere. It's not like we can debate, it's there. His promises are in black and white for you to read, sometimes red and white, bending at the other red letter version. So, go get it. Go ask God for it. A thousand times ask him for it, and then repeat the process. Seek his joy out and never stop looking for more. Unless, well, just never stop looking. Never stop, because you're not going to get to the end of his goodness. Ask God with all you have. Seek him with all you've got. Pound on his front door every single day and say, God, where's more? Where's more of you? Where's more of your joy today? Because it's only found in him. See, when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, we know the famous passage, Lord teaches to pray. And then he gives them what? The Lord's Prayer, right? We know that. We've heard that a hundred times maybe. But what does he teach them right after the Lord's Prayer? The very next thing Jesus teaches his people, his disciples, he says, you want to know how to pray? Here's my Lord's Prayer. He didn't even call it that. But he gives the example prayer, and then he says, let me teach you how to never give up and to come to me and come to me over and over and over and over again until you receive everything you've asked for. That is what he follows up with. Teach me how to pray. Lord's Prayer. Good stuff in the Lord's Prayer. A lot of model stuff there, but then the model of never give up asking me for what I've promised. Never do it. And so I'll end with this. This is the words right after he teaches that, he teaches a parable on that, and then he illustrates the parable, or he, he uh, explains the parable with these words. It says, so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you, for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds, and everyone who knocks, to them the door will be opened It is a promise straight from Jesus. You want the joy that Paul spoke about. You want the joy that Paul experienced himself. Ask and then keep on asking. Seek it out and keep on seeking. And you will find over and over and over again that God is good for his word. All right, let's ask him right now. Father God, we thank you for the incredible joy available to us in Jesus Christ and for the assurance And it's not just something to read about and think pleasant thoughts about. God, it's something we can experience. It's something we can live out when our hearts seek you above all else. Lord, we ask you today, give us this joy. We ask you, give us this joy. We ask you, give us this joy. Teach us this joy. Show us this joy. Help us to live out of this joy. Flood us with your presence, God. Flood us with your love and your strength. And teach us to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking on your door, God. To know you more. We love you, God. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray.